My name is Matthew Kane, and this is the Dirty Air F1 Podcast. You set funk when you can, funk one, Hamilton behind, starting last lap, last lap. What the fuck was that, honestly? Seriously? Does he want to kill us? Understood, Mick, understood. Checkered flag, checkered flag. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, understood, Mick. Everyone, it's uh, it's been observed. Everyone's aware. Okay, good job, Mick. I mean, okay. Yeah, yeah, wow. Mick. Okay, <laughs> understood, Mick. Okay. Sorry, 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 but yeah, okay, all good. Okay, we can go mode slow, mode slow. Okay, Mick, so that's um, P13 behind Bottas and P12. P1 was Perez, P2 Vettel, P3 Gasly, P4 Leclerc, P5 Norris, P6 Alonso. 7th, Sunoda, 8th, Sainz, 9th, Ricciardo, Kimi Raikkonen in 10th, and then Giovinazzi, Bottas, Yu, and then Nikita, then Hamilton, and then Latifi from his penalty. And Russell retired right there at the end. Yeah, okay. Okay, Mick, we'll see you back here soon. Just uh, remember to go to P1, wait 3 seconds, and then go P0. Good job, see you soon. Yeah, understood. Where was the P2. Really good run, and Perez won the race. Oh, really good. Happy. Happy for Yep, copy that. Welcome to this episode of the Dirty Air F1 Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Kane. Thank you very much for joining me today. In this episode, I'll be covering the 2021 Azerbaijan Grand Prix in Baku, offering an in-depth look at each of the team's and driver's performances, as well as recent news in Formula One. But before we get started, if you don't already follow me on social media, please do. I am the Dirty underscore F1 on Twitter. I am the Dirty RF1 podcast on both YouTube and Instagram. And my website is www.thedirtyairf1.com. I look forward to interacting with you and seeing you there. If this is your first time listening to my podcast, I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, please like and subscribe and share it with your friends. All right, before we get to the crazy events of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, let's go through some of the F1 news. Unfortunately, the Singapore Grand Prix has been cancelled this year due to the global pandemic. Rumors have been circulating for the last few weeks that this was going to happen, and unfortunately, it's come true. We saw similar happen with Melbourne and Montreal. Unfortunately, the organizers did the best they could, but it's just not going to work out. And now F1 is forced to look for other venues to host a race, or potentially do double headers at the same track that they've just been at. One thing is certain, Formula 1 did a fantastic job last year juggling which races they were going to be able to go to, what circuits they were going to be able to use, and what had to be done to make them usable. So I have every confidence that Formula 1 will be able to make up for this. But the global pandemic has posed numerous challenges that, you know what, up until this point, Formula 1 have done a very good job handling. So stay tuned, and we'll find out who the replacement race is for Singapore. In other news, the topic of flexible wings is still very much on everyone's mind in Formula 1 and the FIA decided to step in in Azerbaijan. And to no one's surprise, Red Bull decided to use a wing that wasn't flexing as much as it had in the past. This, of course, brought about some pretty harsh words between Christian Horner and Toto Wolff. With a potential penalty looming for Red Bull on the horizon, Christian Horner suggested that perhaps the FIA should take a look at how much the Mercedes front wing was flexing, and also that Toto Wolff should keep his mouth shut. And it didn't take long for Toto to fire back, calling Christian Horner a windbag. <laughs> I love that old school term, windbag. I think Christian should be careful here. When's the last time you took a look at the size of Toto Wolf, Christian? And what are you going to do if he doesn't keep his mouth shut? Oh, well, that's right. 
You're going to change the wing. Ah, called your bluff. <laughs> One thing is certain. We're not used to seeing Toto like this, speaking out to the press and getting involved with verbal jabs with his competitors. And to most observers, they assume that Mercedes and Toto Wolf are starting to crumble under the pressure. But I don't agree. In fact, when we dig deeper, it's pretty easy to see that Toto has quite a bit on his plate right now. Number one, you have a very unhappy and underperforming number two driver in Valtteri Bottas. And as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, there's no doubt that Bottas is not going to be back with Mercedes next year. So how do you motivate somebody who's just found out they're going to lose their drive at the end of the season? We all know that Formula One is the pinnacle of motorsport. And we all saw how it went for Sebastian Vettel last year at Ferrari. These guys are professionals, but they're still human beings. And this is not an easy thing to balance. And number two are the new FIA regulations imposed this year, where not only are the tires harder and heavier from Pirelli, but you've had the reduction of the rear floor, which reduces the pressure on the rear tires, thus reducing rear end grip. And this was incredibly evident in Azerbaijan, as we saw the Mercedes struggling to get out of the corners when compared to the Red Bulls. Now on the other side of the coin, Red Bull have had years to defeat Mercedes on track, on merit, but it doesn't feel that way this year. It feels like this is a little bit contrived to me. When you take into account that Adrian Newey and his design philosophy for Red Bull has had the high rake setting for years, and that Honda stepped up to the plate this year with an engine that's as powerful as the Mercedes and they're promising an upgrade in France, they have a distinct advantage in warming up the tires. And it's a car that's much easier to set up. I honestly think that Toto is frustrated and he's feeling a little bit cheated right now. I think this has led Mercedes to take their eye off the ball a little bit here. I mean, when's the last time you saw so many poor pit stops by Mercedes? And when was the last time you saw Lewis Hamilton make a mistake like he did at the restart? And the cherry on top is you have the windbag in your face talking dirty. Man, Toto's stressed. All that being said, you know what? I'm really enjoying the closer racing and so is everyone else. But something isn't right here. And I'd be interested to see what comes out further down the line. Because taking smack talk from Dr. Helmut Marco and Christian Horner, and even Max Verstappen, I mean, it's a bit much. It really is a bit much. But whether I like it or not, Red Bull have rolled up their sleeves, and they're going to play dirty for the remainder of the season until the final race is run. And lastly, you have seven-time world champion Sir Lewis Hamilton, who's out of contract, looking to renew by summer. You have Valtteri Bottas, who's looking for his place in the team to be announced by summer. And you also have George Russell waiting in the wings, looking for his promotion. The next few months are going to be very, very interesting. Good luck, Toto. And lastly, before I get to the race recap, I have a special announcement to make. If you're listening to this podcast currently on YouTube, that presentation is about to take a giant leap forward. I had originally patterned my YouTube presentation after the show Beyond the Grid, where you simply see their logo throughout the entire podcast. I had chosen to do it this way for two reasons. Number one, Beyond the Grid draws a huge amount of viewers, and I thought that would suffice. And number two, I simply didn't have the skills to do it. You see, most of this is still very new to me. But luckily, since I've been on Twitter, I've managed to meet up with a number of fantastic Formula One fans and people. And one of those people is named Aaron, and he has his own podcast called The Five Red Lights. And since the very first day we first started talking, we became friends. I've been super impressed with his passion for the sport and his knowledge. And his YouTube channel is much better than mine. So I'm looking forward to releasing his creative ability. And in combination with my audio work, I hope to present a much better offering on YouTube. 
And together, we're going to continue to grow that channel into something that's going to be hopefully pretty special one day. So be sure to check that out in the coming weeks. And in the meantime, be sure to check out Aaron's podcast, The Five Red Lights. All right, all right. It's time to get to the race recap. But we're going to do a little bit differently this time. Up until this point, I've always been starting off with who qualified where and then how they finished. But this season is different. No longer is it a given that Mercedes are going to qualify 1-2 and drive away into the distance. I mean, who would have predicted that Charles Leclerc would have had two pole positions after six races? And how can I possibly do a podcast where it finishes with, on pole position, for Scuderia Ferrari, Charles Leclerc? Oh, by the way, he didn't start the race. The end. That just doesn't work. So from now on, I'm going to be saying where people finished, and then simply discuss how they did in free practice and in qualifying. So without further ado, finishing in 20th place for Alpine Racing, Esteban Ocon. This disappointing result puts an end to a great run by Esteban so far this season. Heading into Azerbaijan, he had scored points in four straight races and clearly had the measure of his world champion teammate, Fernando Alonso. Now that dramatically changed after free practice one, where Alonso was actually seven-tenths of a second quicker. That gap narrowed to four-tenths of a second after free practice two, and was further reduced to three-tenths after free practice three. Alonso still managed to get the better of him in qualifying, out-qualifying him by four positions, and it was still considered a decent result, standing on P12 on the grid, and potential points were definitely on the table for Sunday. Sadly, he was the first retirement of the race, suffering with boost pressure issues. This was just another reminder that you can't always have it go your way on race day, and that's racing. There wasn't much for me to judge during the race for Esteban. Therefore, I give his performance at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix a rating of 6 out of 10. Finishing in 19th position for Aston Martin Racing was Lance Stroll. Azerbaijan was considered a strong circuit for Lance, considering he scored his first podium here for Williams in 2017. And many noticed that he actually had a different halo design to Seb Vettel this race, no doubt due to the difference in their heights. Aston Martin is certainly turning over every single leaf, trying to find every ounce of performance that they can get out of that car this year to salvage the season. No doubt the results so far have not met Mr. Stroll's expectations, considering that they were the favorites to be the best of the rest this year, and have simply struggled to be in the top ten. Unfortunately for Lance, he took a big step backwards when he crashed in qualifying. He, like many others, struggled to get his tires up to temperature and he misjudged his braking point and crashed into the safety barriers. Knowing that Lance is very good at saving his tires, they decided to go long and started him on the hard tire. And to his credit, the strategy looked to be paying off as those before him on the softer tires were pitting. This was going to put Lance on the soft tires towards the end of the race with a lighter fuel load and points were definitely on the horizon. Then, without warning, on lap 29, he suffered a massive blowout on the left rear tire on the main straight of Baku at over 200 miles an hour, and it was truly scary. What was even scarier was that Michael Massey, the race director, had not directed the race to stop under red flag conditions or bring out the safety car, not even the virtual safety car. And as Lance Stroll stood there in his cockpit getting out of his car, his competitors were passing him at incredibly high rates of speed. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. Whoa, red flag, red flag. Get me Red out of flag. this place on the track. Red yeah, flag. Place. Thankfully, Lance wasn't hurt, but this proved to be only the first of many scary situations on race day. 
Now, I didn't really have much to go by for Lance's performance this weekend. I mean, he did crash in qualifying and it was his mistake. But the crash in the race wasn't. And early estimations by Pirelli was that Lance had potentially hit some debris. Aston Martin had confirmed that there was no warning that this was about to happen. And considering that Pirelli had expected the hard tire to last 40 laps and Lance was only on lap 29, a lot of people were left scratching their heads. When I take that all into account, I honestly believe that this strategy was going to work out for them and that Lance would have been on the cusp of scoring some points. And therefore, I give Lance Stroll a rating at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix of 6.5 out of 10. Finishing in 18th place was the World Driving Championship leader, Red Bull Racing's Max Verstappen. Here's an interesting fact. Did you know that Max Verstappen has never led any type of championship in any class of racing in his entire career? I didn't. I've already admitted in previous podcasts that I don't follow the junior classes. I only really follow Formula One and was unaware of Max's record before he got there. Once he arrived in Baku, the bounce in his step had returned after his wonderful win in Monaco, and he proved to be on the pace from the very first practice session. His confidence only grew as the weekend wore on, watching Mercedes struggle to find their pace. He suffered a minor setback during qualifying and all the red flag pandemonium that was going on around him. Unfortunately, Max was only able to qualify in third position. This was incredibly disappointing considering, no doubt, he was the fastest driver in the fastest car. And at the risk of upsetting Sir Lewis Hamilton fans, to be fair, Max Verstappen could have won the first five races of this season and should actually have a commanding lead in the Drivers' Championship thus far. After his run in Q2, he was asked to pull into the way station and while doing so, ran over some wet paint. Now remember, these are the tires that he would have to start the race on, and Red Bull rightfully argued that they were now compromised. They allowed Red Bull to fit the car with a new set of boots, and this gave Max a distinctive advantage at the beginning of the race, and also allowed him to do the overcut on Lewis. That and the fact that Red Bull performed yet again another miraculous pit stop under two seconds for him. Now that he was leading the pack, Max comfortably kept a gap over his teammate Sergio Perez, and looked to be controlling the race with only a handful of laps remaining. That's when, like Lance Stroll, he suffered a massive left rear tire blowout down the main stretch of Baku at 200 miles an hour. Uh, so it'll be blue flags for Mazepin ahead. Blue flags. Okay, five laps to go, Max. Five laps. Happy with your brake pedal. Traction metrics are sensible too. The fucking tire! Fuck! Thankfully, he wasn't hurt either, but as you can hear on that radio, the cars in the background are going by him at speed, and for some reason, once again, no safety car, no virtual safety car, and no red flag. And there was Verstappen standing at the side of the track, with cars buzzing by him. It was truly a scary moment, and one that Michael Massey has to answer for. Red Bull immediately got on the radio with Pirelli, and told him that, like Aston Martin, they had absolutely no warning that this tire failure was about to occur, and they were well inside the tire window. Pirelli's initial response to this was, he must have hit debris from Stroll's car. And this is when Red Bull insisted that the race be red flagged and that all cars be allowed to be fitted with new tires. This was definitely a great call by Red Bull, and unfortunately, they were the ones who had to make it. I cannot find any fault with Max's driving this weekend, and it's a shame that he had to lose this race due to a tire failure, and therefore... I give him an Azerbaijan Grand Prix rating of 10 out of 10. Finishing in 17th position for Williams F1 Racing, Mr. Saturday, George Russell. 
For those of you still on the fence, wondering if George Russell is able to step into the Mercedes seat next year, take this into account. Among the five teams in the bottom half of the Constructors' Championship table, only one of those ten drivers has reached Q2 at every race weekend so far this year, and that would be George Russell, in the Williams, currently last in the standings. And George himself recently said, based on the improved performance of the Williams car, he expects to be in Q2 at least for the remainder of the season. In a recent interview with all the F1 team managers, they were all asked, if you were allowed to run a third car on the grid, who would you want as your driver? Now, when you take into account you have a four-time world champion in Sebastian Vettel and a two-time world champion in Fernando Alonso, not to mention multiple race winner Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen, Toto Wolff answered, George Russell. George was feeling quite comfortable with the car in Azerbaijan and was getting the most out of it. Unfortunately, he was fighting technical gremlins throughout the weekend and almost didn't make qualifying. Lance Stroll's crash in qualifying gave Williams a little bit more time, and George was able to make Q1, which he got through. Another red flag session ended up hampering George's second run, and he ended up starting the race in P15. The team adopted a two-stop strategy, trying to give George a little bit of free air, but unfortunately, he didn't have the pace on the hard tires to make up much ground. But what was interesting was, at one point in the race, he was actually right behind Valtteri Bottas, and I was popping my popcorn. After Max's crash and subsequent safety car and race suspension, all the teams were fitted with new tires, and we were certainly looking forward to the short sprint race to the checkered flag. Unfortunately for George, after the formation lap, his car completely lost drive, and he never took part in the restart. Seeing George out of the car and actually pushing the car himself sort of summed up his entire Williams career, where he has carried that team on his back, and I cannot fault anything that he has done this weekend. And therefore, I rate George's performance in Baku as 7 out of 10. Finishing in 16th position for Williams F1 Racing was Nicholas Latifi. Much like his teammate, Nicholas was actually very comfortable with the car and was showing pretty similar pace throughout the weekend. And by all accounts, it looked like Nicholas was going to put in a fairly stable performance this weekend, much like he has throughout his career. That was until race day, when the team, under red flag conditions, told him to stay out six consecutive times. Let's listen in to the radio communications between Latifi and his race engineer and the ensuing confusion. Okay, there's a big crash. Crash? Did you say crash? There's a big crash in Main Street. Verstappen has crashed in Main Street. We'll let you know. Try to leave a gap. Okay. Slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. If you can, slow down, please. Okay, we stay out, stay out, stay out. Why? And stay left, stay left on start finish, Verstappen. Just start finish, stay left. I don't know why they're not putting VSC or safety car. It's fucking dangerous. Okay, safety car, safety car, safety car. keep Delta positive, keep Delta positive. Yeah, we definitely have the box now. No question. How many lots? So, so, that's red. Okay, red flag, race is probably done then. So we read three, four, four, red three, four, four. Oh, copy. I thought you said red flag. Okay, so stack stop, stack stop, 
car in front gap is currently 8.5, so safe. You just have to follow your delta, follow your delta and you'll be safe. If you have opportunity to lift a pit entry to cool down the car, we would like to. And box, box, so watch out, white line and pit limiter. Stay out, stay out, stay out, stay out, stay out, stay out. Copy. Through the pit lane, but no pit stop. Huh? Through the pit lane, but no pit stop. Ah, you, you told me to stay out. Uh, stay out means stay on the track. Sorry, sorry. Then I have to go through the pit lane. Yep, yep, you'll have to go through the pit lane, so I think you'll have to let the car pass. Let, let the car pass. Are they going to pass me, or...? Yeah, yeah, stand by on that, stand by, please. I don't, I don't know who to let by and who not. Yes, so normally we should be... Yeah. Keep the position, keep the position for the moment, please. So keep, keep making... Warming up for Axel, please. Keep working. Are we so we still need to drive through the pit lane. And that's red flag, red flag. Red copy, flag copy. So all the cars will go through the pit lane. They will stay in the fast lane. The first car will stop at the end of the pit lane. And remember, you need to leave some gap in front of you and to your right. Leave some gap in front of copy. you and to your right. How many laps are left? So that's four to go. Four to go. So it would be three to ah, go. For sure, not going to restart. For probably sure, not won't restart. It. It probably won't restart, yes. Yeah, so at the moment I don't have confirmation, but you switch off to P1. So they say they will restart, they say they will restart. Okay, so switch off the engine P1 and revert to P2. So then the race will restart, will restart, there's three laps left. So obviously we're under investigation for not using the pit lane. Yeah, well, it's pretty clear what's going to happen then. Yes, yes. I can only apologize. As I sit here and listen to that team radio, I'm thankful it wasn't Sonoda. Can you imagine the rant he would have gone on? Fucking parents, you fucking guys. You fucking cunt. I'm actually getting flashbacks to the taste of soap that my mother was washing my mouth out with as a kid. This mistake ended up costing Latifi a 30-second time penalty and three penalty points. And, to add salt to the wound... He was beaten by both Mazepin and Schumacher and Haas. Considering the class that Latifi showed during this difficult moment, I'm going to give him an extra point, and therefore, he will score the same amount of points as George Russell in Baku, and that is 7 out of 10. What a good Canadian boy. Finishing in 15th position, something I never thought I would say this year, Sir Lewis Hamilton. Entering this weekend, Sir Lewis found himself in a very unfamiliar position, and that was trailing in the World Championship. From the get-go, the Mercedes was not on the pace in Azerbaijan. And at the last moment, they decided to fit the car with a low downforce rear wing. This proved to be extremely beneficial, especially when he got the tow from Leclerc during qualifying, and he ended up putting the car on the front row in P2. After a solid start, he made short work of Charles and passed him on lap 2 to take the lead. Sadly for Sir Lewis, all of his work was undone come the first pit stops, when his release was held up by the pit entry of Pierre Gasly. Thanks to a fantastic pit stop by Red Bull, who got Max out in 1.9 seconds, and then got Sergio out in similar time, Lewis found himself in P3, 
and for the first time this season, we saw the value of having Perez up in the mix, because he was able to hold Lewis off while Max built a bit of a lead. And that is where he stayed, until Max Verstappen crashed. And finally, it looked like Lewis might have a chance to salvage an amazing victory on a very difficult weekend. Alas, upon the restart, Sir Lewis made a very uncharacteristic mistake when he continued to engage what was called the magic brake button, which allows the Mercedes to maintain brake temperatures while following the safety car. This changed the brake balance setting, which is normally set at 51% front, 49% rear, to 86% front, 14% rear, and thus Lewis went long in turn one, and the entire field passed him. With only two laps remaining, there was nothing left to salvage, and his race weekend was finished. Important to note, when they checked the hard tire that came off Lewis's car during the red flag session, it had a huge 6 centimeter tear in it, but we'll talk about that later. When you compare Sir Lewis's pace this weekend, when in comparison with Valtteri's, it was pretty easy to see the class this man has behind the wheel of a Formula 1 car. And it just goes to show, it doesn't matter if you're a 7-time world champion, it doesn't matter if you've been knighted, you're still a human being, and you're going to make mistakes. And Lewis doesn't make many, but this one cost him dearly. Otherwise, his performance was phenomenal, and I rate his performance in Azerbaijan as 7 out of 10. Finishing in 14th position for Haas F1 was Nikita Mazepin. Heading into Baku, Mazepin was coming off his strongest drive in Monaco, but then spent much of practice and qualifying getting in everyone else's way. And one thing is certain, he has absolutely earned no respect from anyone else on the grid. And after this race, he's even lost the respect of his own teammate. Now, whether fair or unfairly, it seems like whenever another driver makes a mistake on the circuit and Mazepin is within eyesight, he is the one that they place blame on. At one point during this race, he was actually one and a half laps down to his teammate. That was until the safety car made that look a little bit better for him. In a previous podcast, I had mentioned that perhaps it was in Nikita's best interest for him to step down out of the race seat for the time being until he gets a better handle on being a Formula One driver. And now, this week, it's come out that he is obligated to perform military service back home in Russia, to which he's already served two years, in the hopes of becoming a reserve officer in the future. This sounds a lot more to me like a graceful exit for somebody who doesn't have the skill to be on the grid. Again, I'm not sure how to rate this performance. He did finish the race, he got in a lot of people's way, and his last minute move on the final straightaway of the final lap on his own teammate, which risked both their lives? <sighs> Ugly. And therefore, I give Nikita's performance in Baku a rating of 2 out of 10. Finishing in 13th position was Mick Schumacher. Like I've mentioned before, when you're driving an outdated car like the Haas, the only way to judge somebody's performance is against their teammate. But then again, you're rating your performance against Nikita Mazepin. That being said, I believe that Mick got the most out of that car this weekend. And like I previously mentioned, he was one and a half laps ahead of him before the safety car came out. Unlike more experienced drivers on the grid, Mick didn't put a foot wrong all weekend long and kept the car out of the walls and managed to make up three positions from where he qualified from. And as you heard in the intro, he was clearly shaken up by that last second move by Mazepin on the final straightaway and was obviously given the all quiet on the radio. And after only a few moments, he was able to collect himself and that's exactly what he did. Mick shows maturity well beyond his years. And despite not finishing in the points, I rate this performance quite highly. And I give Mick Schumacher a rating in Baku of 7 out of 10. Finishing in 12th position for Mercedes AMG F1, Valtteri Bottas 5.0. Bottas's weekend got off to a pretty interesting start when at first he completely disagreed with Toto Wolff's assessment that he had missed his marks in the pits 
and when you look at the camera footage, he was only three centimeters off. This forced team boss Toto Wolf to issue a public apology. He then made a statement to the press that he wished to know where he stood with regards to his seat next year by the summer. Now it's in my opinion that Botas is not looking for Mercedes to confirm him. He's looking for Mercedes to say that he's not going to be with the team, therefore letting the rest of the grid know officially that he's available come next season. With no immediate response coming from Mercedes, Valtteri's private plane was then mysteriously late arriving in Baku. One thing that never arrived was his race pace, and his performance all weekend long was absolutely abysmal. And at one point, he found himself battling for position with George Russell. Now I will admit, Valtteri does seem to be riddled with bad luck. But bad luck can only carry you so far, and it doesn't explain why he's only scored points in half the races so far this season. Having qualified 10th and finishing 12th, added to the fact that Lewis's mistake put him near the back of the field, this now ended Mercedes' streak of scoring points in a Grand Prix at 55 races. And before long, it's going to mean the end of Valtteri Bottas' career with Mercedes. I rate his performance in Baku as 3 out of 10. Finishing in 11th position was Antonio Giovinazzi. Antonio has been performing quite well recently, outperforming his teammate and world champion Kimi Raikkonen. No doubt with the pressure off, he decided to reach out to Alfa Romeo and request a contract extension for next year, and then promptly rewarded them by crashing and qualifying. Despite that hiccup, Giovinazzi drove brilliantly on race day and made up nine positions, finishing in P11 just outside the points and right behind his teammate. This, I think, was one of the great performances on race day that was completely overlooked. And despite crashing and qualifying, I think it actually helped his position with regards to re-signing with Alfa Romeo and remaining on the Formula 1 grid next year. Considering that Kimi is now 41 years of age, if Antonio continues to perform like this, I think he is starting to look more and more like the guy who could lead Alfa Romeo into the future. And I rate his Baku performance quite highly at 7.5 out of 10. Finishing in 10th position was the Iceman, Kimi Raikkonen. As I just mentioned, Kimi's paces seemed to have fallen off a little bit the last few races, and he was coming under a little bit of scrutiny as he was being outperformed by Antonio Giovinazzi. One could argue that Kimi's actually been a little bit unlucky this season, always finishing just on the cusp of scoring some points, and the Alfa Romeo has shown signs of some pace, depending on the track. Now one of the problems of running in the midfield, especially for us fans, is we don't get to see much of them. And this race was no different. Much like other races, Kimi seemed almost invisible. Yet this race, we did get to see him make a pass on his fellow countryman, Mr. Botas. And in this race, Kimi also suffered more technical issues. Last time it was the drink, this time it was his radio, which is not uncommon around Baku. But as we saw with Antonio, who was able to make up nine places in the race, the Alfa Romeo had pace, and Kimi himself made up four places, finishing in tenth, finally earning his first point of the season. I do rate this drive as a solid one, but I am beginning to wonder how much longer we're going to be able to watch Kimi Raikkonen in Formula 1, especially if Antonio continues to outperform him or at least match him. But that being said, I give Kimi Raikkonen a performance rating in Baku of 7 out of 10. Finishing in ninth position for McLaren F1, the Honey Badger, Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel for me is the biggest disappointment of the season, bigger than Valtteri Bottas, because I rate him higher as a driver than Bottas. And heading into Baku, McLaren were obviously very concerned about his performance and brought a new chassis for him, which he promptly crashed in qualifying. This was a race I was expecting Daniel to show us something because he's always run well here in Baku. Unfortunately for both McLaren drivers, they were really struggling getting temperature in those tires this weekend, 
and when you combine that with the pebbled surface of a street track, it proved to be too much for somebody who's already struggling with the car's handling. I don't think there's anyone else on the grid who has lost out as much as Danny Rick due to the reduced preseason testing and the reduced practice times during Grand Prix weekends. And I was not surprised at all when he made the comment that he was looking forward to the upcoming triple header. Because let's face it, Daniel needs more seat time. For some reason, he needs more seat time to get acclimated to that McLaren. And although Lando even admitted this week that the car is difficult to drive, Lando is performing. And Ricardo has more experience and he's a multi-race winner. Why is this such a problem? I'm not really understanding that, I have to admit. At the end of the day, he did score points. And he moved up four places. But when you consider that there were three retirements... Ricardo didn't really pass anyone. And therefore, I rate his performance in Baku as 6 out of 10. Daniel, are you okay? Yeah. I'm okay. He doesn't sound okay, does he? Ugh, I hate to hear him like that. Keep your chin up, Daniel. We need you at the top. We need you at the front of the grid. And we all know that you can do it. Finishing in 8th position for Scuderia Ferrari was Carlos Sainz. Carlos has been the exact opposite of Daniel Ricciardo this year, almost immediately matching his teammate's pace since joining his new team. And speaking of pace, the Ferrari were the fastest on the straightaways in Baku during practice, with Carlos recording a speed of 344 kilometers an hour. And despite the madness of qualifying and all the red flags, Carlos managed to put the Ferrari in P5. But one thing that we learned during the pre-practice sessions were the Ferrari was very good on light fuel loads, but not so much on heavy fuel loads, where they were eating up their tires, and this proved to be the big worry going into Sunday. And right from the moment those red lights went out, those worries proved to be valid. Carlos struggled mightily to get the tires up to temperature. It was to no avail, as he was passed by a hard-charging Sergio Perez before he pitted on lap 10. Once again, struggling to get the new tires up to temperature, Carlos missed corner 8 and went deep, down the escape road, dropping all the way down to 15th position. He said after the race that he had misjudged his braking point, based on the fact that the track had been much hotter during pre-practice. From then on, Carlos put in one of his typical drives, where he put his head down and charged his way back up through the field. And at the end of the day, his efforts were rewarded when he finished in P8, helping Ferrari pass McLaren in the Constructors' Championship. Having turned a missed opportunity into a respectable finish, I rate Carlos's drive in Baku as a 7 out of 10. Finishing in 7th position was Yuki Sonoda. After a number of poor results, questions were starting to rise with regards to Sonoda's place in Formula 1. It only took six races for people to stop talking about his late braking and his brave passing. And now, they're talking about his conduct within the car and his constant verbal abuse with his race engineer. Yuki, we need to push harder on tires. They are looking good now. We need to open the gap to Vettel. You can push harder. Push flat out. I am! Shut up! Anyone who has ever played a competitive sport understands that stress and tensions are high, especially at the highest level. But I do recall one time when Michael Schumacher's race engineer told him he needed to perform 17 qualifying laps in order to make a certain pit strategy work. And his answer was, I understand. And that is precisely what he went on to do. I guess AlphaTauri have decided that this kind of behavior is tolerable, especially when Yuki Tsunoda was in the middle of having his best race of the season. But still, he's five feet tall. If he came back to the pits and I was his race engineer, I'd stick an air hose up his nose. I believe it was Jackie Stewart who once said, once you step in the car, you have to leave all emotions outside of it. Maybe this is a good lesson for Yuki to learn, 
going forward. That being said, Yuki finished 7th, which was his best finish of the season, and both AlphaTaris finished in the top 10. Now, AlphaTari are 5th in the Constructors' Championship, and I did say at the beginning it would take a few races for Yuki to get up to speed. Let's hope for AlphaTari's sake. He has now found his footing in that car, and going forward, we can expect better results from him. I rate his Baku performance as 7.5 out of 10. Finishing in 6th position was Fernando Alonso. Well done, Nando. There's life in the old champ yet, much like Sebastian. Well done, my friend. Much like Ferrari, the Alpine were struggling on heavy fuel loads, and at the start of the race, Fernando started to go backwards. This is where his vast experience definitely benefited him, and he wasn't afraid to try a unique strategy. As the laps passed by, he clawed his way back up to P10, right before the race stoppage, where they fitted him with the soft tires. And it was Fernando who made up four places, obviously thanks to Lewis going off in turn one, but Fernando passed three people in those short few laps and got his way all the way back up to P6, which represented his best finish in three and a half years since the 2018 Australian Grand Prix. And more importantly, although Ocon suffered issues and retired first, Alonso finished ahead of him, which he hasn't done for most of this season. And despite Ocon being far more consistent and having better finishes this season, Alonso has now passed him in the point standings. Maybe this is an indication that finally, the Alpine is to his liking, and he will continue to provide quality performances like this going forward till the end of the season. And therefore, I rate Fernando Alonso's performance in Baku as 8.5 out of 10. Finishing in 5th position for McLaren F1 was Lando Norris. Lando was yet again showing great pace all throughout practice and in qualifying. And unfortunately, much like Latifi, had a radio miscommunication and did not enter the pits during the red flag conditions in qualifying. He struggled to get the tires up to temperature and fell back initially in the beginning phases of the race. But as we have seen this season, Lando continues to outperform his teammate, outperform the car, and get the absolute most out of every race weekend. And having recently extended his contract, McLaren must be pretty happy with themselves and with their young driver. And it can certainly be said that he benefited from Lewis's mistake, Max's crash, Carlos's mistake, and he got by Sonoda on merit. One would hate to think if he was performing as poorly as Ricardo, where McLaren would be right now, and therefore, I rate his Baku performance as 8 out of 10. Finishing in fourth position for Scuderia Ferrari was Charles Leclerc. Now, whether you are a Ferrari fan or not, you must respect how Charles is performing in that car this year, and if you don't, well, you should. After his heartbreak in his home race in Monaco, where he qualified on pole, but was unable to start the race, he put it on pole again in Azerbaijan, where nobody expected him to. But despite that fantastic result, Charles, as usual, was very self-deprecating. Well, here we are. That qualifying was absolutely unbelievable. My heart was on the rev limiter, but for you, Charles Leclerc, pole position. Tell, about, tell us about that lap. It was, uh, it was quite a shit lap, I thought. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I laugh every time I hear that. Pretty impressive that he was able to exercise the demons of Baku and put that car back on pole. But Ferrari knew come race day that their race pace was off, especially under the heavy fuel loads, where they were absolutely destroying their tires. It didn't take long for Lewis to pass him at the beginning of the race on lap two to take the lead, and Charles began to quickly fall back. Now, by the way, it was mentioned that Charles actually had to slow down to avoid a branch that had fallen on the track. But still, that Ferrari was not going to be in the top three. Forced to mind his tires... Charles continued to drive a very intelligent race, and he kept the car out of the walls. And no one can doubt that he gave it his all during the final sprint, trying to pass Pierre Gasly. Meanwhile, 
holding off Lando Norris. His fourth-place finish represented the fourth time that Charles has finished fourth in the first six races this season. And when you couple that with Carlos Sainz's podium in Monaco, that is the reason why Ferrari have now surpassed McLaren in the Constructors' Championship. And therefore, I rate Charles' performance in Baku very highly at 9 out of 10. Finishing in third position was my main man, Pierre Gasly. I had predicted before the race that if Red Bull were to go fast in Baku, you could bet that Pierre Gasly would be going fast. And it proved I was right. So I took a few moments to levitate. This result represented as the third podium in Pierre Gasly's career and solidified the opinion up and down the paddock that he is the most underrated driver in the sport. And despite the opinion of Dr. Helmut Marco, where Max Verstappen is two-tenths of a second faster in the same car, he managed to qualify two hundredths behind him. This go-around... Much like the Red Bull, the AlphaTauri benefited by its high rake setting, and they were able to get the tires up to temperature rather quickly. And once again, he got the better of his highly touted rookie teammate, Yuki Sonoda. Unfortunately for Pierre, he was suffering with some engine issues by mid-race, and he was passed by Sebastian Vettel. Thankfully, he remained very strong through Sector 2, and he was able to hold off the rest of the competition, including hard-charging Charles Leclerc, which in my mind was incredibly impressive when you consider the straight-line speed of the Ferrari, and it certainly put Pierre in the mix for driver of the day. After this great result, he now stands P8 in the Drivers' Championship, despite getting off to a little bit of a slow start at the beginning of the season. And therefore, I rate his performance this weekend very highly, at 9.5 out of 10. A few more performances like this, and the bidding war will begin for his services next year. Guaranteed. I don't know how I did that. Guys, I don't know how I did that. Oh, what a That's high. incredible. What a high, mate. What a high. Come, please. Wow. No idea how I did that. And uh, good old Fail 84. Sorry for that. Fail 84, thank you. Oh, your move on the clear was amazing. Amazing. I love this. Incredible, guys. I'm sorry for you. Sorry for It's been an incredible weekend from the start to the finish, so I'm really pleased. I'm really pleased with all of you. Fantastic work. Whoa. Yeah, that was an amazing job. That last lap, absolutely incredible. Fantastic. You've been amazing all weekend. Really, really good job. Thank you. Fully deserved. Thanks a lot. Unbelievable. Thanks a lot to everyone, guys. Unbelievable. Great job you deserve. Yeah, I really, really had to fight hard for that one. Yeah, big time. On the, well, sorry for the trouble in the background. I think uh, you helped us a lot with the pace. It was not easy with the issue in the background. Good job. Finishing in second place for Aston Martin Racing, Sebastian Vettel. After having watched Sebastian struggle last year at Ferrari and this year at Aston Martin thus far, there wasn't a dry eye in the place when he finished on the podium in Baku. Sebastian narrowly missed out on Q3 by a few hundredths of a second due to red flags and therefore started the race in P11. This gave Aston Martin tire choice going into race day, but surprisingly they still started Sebastian on the soft tire. I can only surmise that this is due to the low rake setting on the Aston Martin and its inability to heat the tires up quickly. It proved to be the correct choice and due to Sebastian's skill and experience, he was able to make those tires last and he passed a number of people while they stopped for their first pit stops. This put Sebastian in a very good position after his own pit stop, where he was actually applying pressure to Lewis Hamilton due to his much newer tires. 
And to be honest with you, upon the restart, considering that Seb was on brand new softs, I actually thought he had a good chance to win this race, especially after Lewis went off in turn one. Now before the race, I'd made a statement on Twitter that I expected the Aston Martins to go quite well in Baku. I must admit, I can't take all the credit for that prediction. There's someone that I follow on Twitter named F1 Trends, who does a fantastic job of analyzing race data. And when I looked at the straight line speed of the Aston Martins, I knew that they would be good to go in Baku. This result was absolutely monumental for Aston Martin and for Sebastian Vettel. It was the first podium for Aston Martin this year. It was also the second points finish for Sebastian Vettel in a row and represented his best result since the 2019 Mexican Grand Prix. And the cherry on top? His podium meant that a German driver has scored at least one podium in a season for the past 30 consecutive years. To no one's surprise, he was voted driver of the day. And I, for one, cannot argue with that. And therefore, it would be absolutely ludicrous for me to give Sebastian Vettel a rating of anything other than 10 out of 10. Yes, mate. Well done. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Great job. Hey, that's a podium, man. That's a wrap. Thank you. Car was amazing today. Woohoo! Brilliant. Brilliant. Take all the pick up and away in. Big kiss to Silverstone. Big kiss to Silverstone to all the guys. Thank you. Yay! What a race! Yes, man! Oh, nobody said Sebastian Vettel no. on the podium, though. Au contraire, Crofty. Because I did. Thanks again, F1 Trends, for your fantastic information. And well done, Sebastian Vettel. Both of you made me look like a genius. Finishing in first place, your Azerbaijan Grand Prix winner... Sergio Perez. Sergio did say it would take him five races to get up to speed. And here he was in race six, standing on top of the podium. And this podium was actually his third in five trips to Baku. And with this monumental win, Sergio is now officially the most successful Mexican driver in history with two wins and 11 podiums. This was all made possible by his incredible start, removed up from P6 all the way to P2. And he got to P2 by overcutting Lewis Hamilton when he was held up by Pierre Gasly in the pits. Once Max was out, it was up to Sergio to carry the ball for Red Bull all the way to the finish line. And despite having car issues, he managed to do it, unlike his predecessors, Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly. And not since Mark Webber and Daniel Ricciardo have Red Bull been able to have a second driver who's been up front in the mix. And now we truly understand the value of this. Now, before the season had started, I had predicted that Perez actually had a solid chance at winning the world championship this year. And after this result, he now stands third in the world championship and once again has joined the fight for the title. Having said all this, as I finish this podcast today, I read in the media that Christian Horner was quoted as saying that Red Bull are in no hurry to revisit Sergio's contract and let alone discuss extending it. And I've got to say, considering Sergio's incredible drive and impressive first win for the team, I think Toto got it right this time. Christian Horner, you really are a windbag. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I've been your host, Matthew Kane. Please remember to like and subscribe if you enjoyed this podcast. And until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon.